Thank you for directing your internet connection to this sermon audio page for Christ Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about Christ OPC by visiting our website at www.christopcatl.org. Christ OPC meets for worship each Sunday at 11 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Let's turn together to John chapter 14. Let us pray. Lord, we bow before you, grateful that you have not remained hidden, but that you have chosen to reveal yourself, especially through your word, through the writings of the apostles and prophets, and that of Christ Jesus himself, who is the cornerstone. And so, Lord, we pray that you would send your Spirit to us, that what we read would illumine our hearts, that what we hear would transform us from glory to glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 14, our text tonight, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The grass withers and flower fades, but God's word abides forever. One of the great passages of comfort in Scripture is Psalm 103, that the Lord reveals himself as a father, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Compassion combined with condescension. Mercy combined with a knowledge of our frailty and our feebleness. And I open with that because it dovetails, it seems to me, very much with the theme of the upper room. What is Jesus doing for his disciples in this time and in this place? He is giving them words of strength, words of comfort to prepare them for what lies ahead. But he does so from the position of knowing their frame. Jesus knows the frame of mind of his disciples, of his followers. In light of what he has taught them thus far, Notice the repetition of the language of I go. Chapter 13, verse 33, Where I am going, you cannot come. Chapter 14, verse 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And then, chapter 14, verse 12, I am going to the Father. And hearing of his going, what is welling up within the emotions and heart of Jesus' followers. 
It is almost certainly a feeling of distress. They are on the verge of being distraught. But you know what? Jesus understands the temperature in the room. That is, the state of their hearts, their fears. And he speaks to them words of hope, words of encouragement, which is precisely the balm and the medicine they need at this time. Later on, when they recall these words, they will be able to take heart and hope in the Lord. Even now, as Jesus is condescending with compassion to his disciples, he is washing them by the water of the word. Tonight we come in chapter 14 to one of the most prominent promises in the whole upper room discourse, and that is with respect to the gift of the Holy Spirit. But with all the promises of God, it behooves us to understand the context in which this promise is given. In this way, we understand the purpose of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, Christ speaks of the keeping of his commandments, and then verses 16 and 17 proceeds to reveal the future bestowal of the Spirit. So, the fruit of love, obedience, through the presence of the Spirit of truth. Three points tonight as we dive into these verses. Firstly, love's obedience. Verse 15. Secondly, the Spirit's presence. Verse 16. And finally, a hidden residence. Verse 17. Well, firstly, love's obedience. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, very briefly, there is a manuscript uh, question in the verb keep. Is it imperative, keep my commandments, or indicative, you will keep my commandments? In the original, it's the difference of only one Greek letter. While there's good manuscript evidence on both sides, I do believe the indicative, you will keep my commandments, as in the ESV, is to be preferred it fits with the indicative of verse 12. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, as well as that of verse 16, I will ask. So you will keep connected to the I will ask. Now this love of Jesus, namely a love for Jesus, it flows, doesn't it, from verse 12. Whoever believes in me. Faith in Christ yields a love for Christ. That these belong together is supported by 1 Timothy 1.14 where the Apostle Paul speaks of the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Faith is like 
the open door to the house. And we're not just to stand back and see that open door, access granted. We are to come in to the house. We are to draw near, and we are to do so as we draw near to God with affection and with love. Those who truly know the Lord will love the Lord. That's why the psalmist declares, love the Lord, you his saints. What is Jesus doing for his disciples even as he teaches them? Back to the beginning, chapter 13, verse 1, he is loving his own who are in the world and loving them to the end. Christ's love calls forth and summons forth our love in response. Who are we as those in Christ? According to the very last book of the the book of Ephesians, last verse of that book, we are those who love the Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. There's a theologian named John Owen who also served as a chaplain. He made this great observation concerning God's love meeting us in Christ. And this is what he says, The Father communicates no issue of his love unto us, but through Christ. And we are to make no return of love unto him, but through Christ. He is the treasury wherein the Father disposes all the riches of his grace, and he is the priest into whose hand we put all the offerings that we return to the Father. And that's the question that is put to us, to each and every one of us. Do you love the Lord Jesus? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What did Jesus ask Simon Peter after his resurrection by the campfire at breakfast time? He said, Simon, do you love me? you love me? The reason this is no light matter is because the love that we have for Christ, it is one of exclusive devotion. It is to be one of allegiance. The if you love me of verse 15, it's not merely having warm sentiments about Jesus. It's not having positive feelings with respect to the Lord. It is a love of singular devotion, a love that means, above all, my desire is to please you. A love that necessarily means, analogous to marriage vows, forsaking all others, I cling to you alone. This love that Jesus is speaking of in verse 15 is, to put it another way, a wholehearted love. Our whole being, our whole person to be directed to the glory of Christ. 
As the hymn tells us, So kindle, Lord most holy, your lamp within my breast, to do in spirit lowly all that may please you best. But notice with the if at the beginning of verse 15, there is also a then. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Now ask yourself why this is. It is because when we love Jesus, whom are we loving? We are loving him as Lord. We are loving him as one who has authority in our lives. Jesus is our master. Look back in chapter 13. And after he washes his feet in verse 13 and 14, notice what he says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. How distorted then it is to consider and to think of Jesus as our peer or as our equal, captured in slogans like, Jesus is my boyfriend or homeboy. Let us not be deceived into thinking that he's on the same plane or level as us. When we love Christ, we are loving the Lord Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one with all authority and power given into his hands. And so this should be then a reverent love a reverent affection. Jesus has shared in flesh and blood, made like us in every way, except without sin. Yet, at the same time, the book of Hebrews tells us, He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's the connection between the first part of verse 15 and the second part. If you love me as king, as Lord, you will then keep my commandments. What is said in Psalm 19 applies to the law of Christ, the commandments of Christ. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Notice how Jesus describes it. My commandments. This is much different from the many rules and regulations in society that have very much an impersonal character to them. Those who write these rules are often at a distance from those who are called to observe them. But Jesus' commandments, notice, are his. My 
commandments, and they are delivered to those whom he knows and have chosen and who know him, if you love me. You see, none of Jesus' commandments are arbitrary. Obey just because. They are all connected to the righteous nature, the pure character of the Lord who gave them. Which is why John is able to say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, or whoever purifies himself, or hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Love cannot stay in the interior, but must have a demonstrable evidence. Just as the orange tree does not prove to be an orange tree by asking the gardener, hey, can you put a sign there that says orange tree? But instead, by bearing the fruits, by their fruits you shall know them, and this fruit cannot remain hidden. We read from 1 John 5, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. There's this very memorable line from the movie Chariots of Fire, where uh, the runner, uh, the gold medalist Eric Liddell, says, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. And in a way, I think for Christians, we should be able to say, When I obey God's commandments, I feel God's pleasure. Just as the eagle spreads his wings in the sky and with seeming effortless movement rides on the wings of the winds, so the child of God finds as we stretch ourselves to obey the Lord and carry out his will that sense of delight in the Lord. That is love's obedience. But secondly, the Spirit's presence. One of the first questions we might rightly ask is, how can we do this? For we know, or ought to know, that it is not within us to keep the commandments of our Savior. And it's almost anticipating that very question that Jesus gives this promise in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. As soon as Jesus lays out the path for us to walk in, he also lays out the equipping and the furnishing for what it takes to walk along this path. What is this? It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we can read the because bridge between verses 15 and 16. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. For because I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. A Bible translator was having difficulty translating this particular word paraclete in the native language. And he saw a line of people coming up, drawing water from the well. And one of these people was 
unable or having difficulty carrying her jug. And there was a man in the back who sped speedily to her side and came and carried the jug for her. And the translator asked someone, what is the name of that role or what he is doing? And he chose that word for paraclete, one who comes alongside, a helper. Now in English, the word another can have two connotations. Another of the same kind. That was a delicious piece of apple pie. May I have another? Or another of a different kind. You're at the hardware store. That tool did not work for my project. Can I please try another? That is a different kind of tool. But in Greek, there are actually two different words for another. One to signal the one of the same kind and the other another of a different kind. Now when Jesus speaks of another helper in verse 16, can you guess which word he uses? It's the word for the another of the same kind. That is, the Father is going to give another helper points to the existence of the original, the first paraclete, the first helper. And who is that? It is Jesus himself. Jesus is the first paraclete. In fact, the only other time this word is used outside of the upper room in John 14 to 17 is in 1 John chapter 2, where John writes, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have a paraclete. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so it's important that this work that the paraclete will do, it's not a different work, but rather a continuation of the work that Jesus, the Son, has begun. He is saying that he, as the paraclete, will ask the Father and what's the Father going to do? Give a second paraclete. And he is going to extend and carry out the ministry that Jesus had begun in his earthly ministry. This is vital to grasp. Virtually everything that Jesus says about the paraclete is has been said about Jesus himself in the gospel. Both come into the world. Both are sent by the Father. Jesus is the truth. Who is the Spirit? Verse 17. The Spirit of truth. Jesus is the Holy One of God. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the teacher, as is the Holy Spirit. Jesus bears witness, and so does the Spirit. So what does this all mean? It means that the disciples who had Jesus 
with them, that he will send his spirit so that we can say they have Jesus in an even better way than they had him at this time. Notice verse 18. Very briefly, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He will come in the Spirit because the Spirit is His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so rather than losing Christ, the promise of the paraclete means the followers of Jesus will gain Christ in a more intimate and fulsome way. Our whole walk of faith our whole pilgrimage, it is conducted in the Spirit. The Spirit going before, beside, and behind. Just as the Israelites in the wilderness could look up day or night, what do they see? The pillar of cloud and the fire accompanying them, bearing testimony to God's presence and guidance of them. So this paraclete, the Holy Spirit, gives protection from dangers without and fears within. Are you looking to the power and equipping of the Spirit in your daily Christian walk? Or are you relying on your own abilities and wherewithal? Luther writes, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. Lord, as we love you and desire to carry out your commandments, fill us with your Spirit, that through him we would be strengthened to carry out your will. Who is with you? Verse 17, the, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. How we need the spirit of truth because we live in the world entangled in a web of lies. We live like the psalmist in Psalm 120 in Meshach among the tents of Kedar. Deliver me, Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. The catalog of lies that flows out from Satan, the father of lies. There is not enough ink in the world to write down and to print all of these falsehoods. But, but, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The spirit of truth and his light overcome the darkness. Praise the Lord for the Spirit whom He has made to yearn jealously within us, who as Christ did will bring conviction where needed when we are in the grip of sin, but who will also bring solace and peace when needed too, when we are disheartened and feel all but defeated. Love's obedience to the Spirit's presence and finally, a hidden residence. 
What does Jesus tell us about the paraclete, the spirit of truth, in the final part of verse 17? He tells us that the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him or knows him. To the world, the Holy Spirit is like that field in the parable. Remember that story? Where the man found this treasure buried in this field. And those passing by are scratching their heads. Why is this man jumping for joy in this barren, empty field holding this title deed in his hand? Well, he sees what they do not see. He sees the gold, the rubies, the treasure that he has obtained. They only see with the eyes this field. The world does not see or know the Holy Spirit. To verify this, just use this simple test. Sometime this week, Turn on the TV. Scroll through all the main channels. Open up the newspaper or the magazine. There will be reporting of all kinds of things. But will you find this headline? The fruit the Holy Spirit is producing among Christians. Or, the marvelous work the Holy Spirit is doing in gathering his church. For those in the world, they are not clued in to the mystery and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why? Because of a veil that lies over their eyes. The veil that Paul speaks of to the Corinthian church that keeps them from seeing the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But for you, beloved of the Lord, believer in the Lord, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Just as you know Christ, who has tabernacled among us and made his dwelling among us. You know Christ, the hope of glory, but as you know him, your life is hidden with God in Christ, which means your life is hidden by the Spirit in God too. Don't judge according to appearances. Don't judge according to what your eyes can see. There was a wife of one of the prophets, and she became a widow when her husband, the prophet, died. And she told Elisha that after his death, she was in a pile of debt, and her two children are in danger of becoming slaves on account of this debt. What does Elisha do? He tells her to go procure all kinds of vessels from the neighbors. Get the jars. Get all the barrels. Get all the pots you can. And pour oil from your 
kitchen jar into those. And as she pours into one vessel, it runs over and another vessel is brought. That too is filled until all the vessels in the house are filled. The jug, according to the prophet's word, was the source of constant replenishment and bounty. Elisha says to her, pay off your creditors, and then you and your sons can live on the rest of the proceeds. Her neighbors may have wondered, does she have some kind of hidden olive orchard that she hasn't told us about? We as Christians, just like this widow, have a never-ceasing fountain of life and joy provided to us. And what is that? Or I should say, who is that? It is none other than the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit who is with us and will dwell with us forever. Be sure of this. God the Father has heard the prayer of His Son. He has sent another helper, another paraclete, another advocate counselor for us. Do you find yourself lacking in wisdom? Call upon the Lord to give you this spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Are you in a prayerless state? Seek the Lord who will give you the spirit of supplication, who testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God, who even now intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Do you have an anger within yourself? that is like a brewing or even raging tempest. Speak, seek for the Spirit to give you that calm, that peace, to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, as we live by the Spirit, help us to walk by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We pray, O Lord, that you might do so according to your promise. For we know that all who seek you, you will give the Holy Spirit to those whom ask, who ask. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.